Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yeah, huh? I love sausage. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber. The Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. The Tim Graham Show. Welcome to the Tim Graham Show, January 23rd, Year of Our Lord, 2019 edition. Brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacumminglindsay.com. Joined here in studio, per the huge, by co-host Michael Rodak of ESPN.com. His thoughts will come in handy today as we talk about LaShawn McCoy's appearance on First Take today, where he talked about various issues, including, for the first time, the reason why he was benched at the beginning of the regular season finale, although with the Bills, I think we can just say the season finale. Well, Since they didn't not even. The it was week 16. Oh, I'm week yeah, 16. At See, New I, England. That's still the old school football fan to me. When I see week 16, I still think 16 games. End of the year. You know, Seattle Seahawks in the AFC. St. Louis Cardinals. Leather helmets. <laughs> yeah, right. Double bar face masks. Neck rolls. Ooh, don't see those anymore. You know, uh, Leighton Vander Esch. Oh, yeah. Does wear the neck roll, which I think is yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, it looks cool. Looks old. But no more Jack Lambert style. Long sleeve jerseys like Jack Lambert used to wear. What? Yeah, Jack Lambert used to wear the long sleeve jersey. I gotta see this now. Yeah, dig up any picture of him. He wears his sleeves go all the way down to the wrist. Jonah Bronstein's in studio. Also per the huge. Hi Tim. Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Enterprises LLC. Jonah Bronstein, you've seen his work everywhere. He's on the show every week, so you listen to him here. He talks about the college hoops and the high school scene. He now, he's plugged in everywhere, but he also covers Sabres games and Bills games for the Associated Press. He writes for the Niagara Gazette. He works for the Buffalo News. Yep. Well, what else Prep might I leave? Prep Talk Live. Well, that's uh, Buffalo News. I think News. you covered it. Brazilian fashion designer. Yes. <laughs> A lot of people don't know it's that. Design dresses. What is the, what's the gist on that? You, well, actually, you sometimes get me. people tweeting at you who think There's you, another LeBronstein. LeBronstein is my Twitter handle. There's a Brazilian fashion designer, I think, Lashia Bronstein. I'm not sure if that's how you pronounce it. She was on the Brazilian Voice. I see. So I get a lot of tweets in Portuguese sometimes telling me <laughs> how, how nice that him? dress was. Yeah, no, actually, I haven't. <laughs> I, I'll retweet them and be like, thanks. You know, it's my passion. <laughs> what was that? Putting on the Ritz? It's gibberish. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think the, it is. Can yeah. you play that again? <laughs> that is. That's, yeah. that's putting on the Ritz from uh, Young. Uh, um, Young Frankenstein. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby Rosati, diddling those knobs. Already coming in hard today. He only caught me with a joint. Oh, I love that one. What are we, speaking of joints, what are we vaping today, Bobby? Uh, t- today is uh, prickly berry mixed with uh, butterscotch. Mm. Changing up a little bit, you know. Are you just trying to, that doesn't sound like a good mesh. It seems like you It's really good, actually. I know, but you're doing this. You have to, you're getting rid of supply, though, right? What are yeah. you trying to get rid of? Uh, the berry, not a, re- not really a huge fan of that. And you I had re- some butterscotch last week, I, too. And I don't really like butterscotch, so I'm trying to get rid of that. But you pay for it. 
Yeah. You got to use. You get it. rid of it. Why not? How much? Do you, how much does it cost? Um, God, like a decent bottle lasts about three weeks, probably twenty bucks. Okay. 15. Why? It seems like you repeatedly are buying flavors you don't like. And then you um, have actually, to go through them. I, actually, I don't buy them. My uh, girlfriend's friend's boyfriend buy, buys them by like the, the ounce or the, or the gallon, I should say, and uh, he doesn't like them certain flavors, so he just gives them to me. And you're getting, I'm not going to be picky. You're getting like the big lots. Yeah, what they say, <laughs> what they sell at big lots, yeah. and uh, well, if you order it online, you can get it real cheap because then you don't have to go get it. Right. When you have to go get it, you know they're making it in store. And, you know, right. it's a whole thing. He's getting the, the yellow Starburst that nobody else wants. <laughs> yeah. Just give him to Bobby. He'll, he'll vape him. The vanilla Tootsie The watermelon roll. Jolly Ranchers. Yeah. The Jordan Almonds in the Whitman Sampler. <laughs> I had a, uh apple grilled cheese last night. It's pretty good. What? Apple grilled cheese. You ate cheese. it or you vaped it? I, <laughs> I ate it. I did not vape it. But well, how do you make it? It's just thinly sliced Thinly apple. sliced apples on the grilled cheese. It's, it's simple. Right. You put a little salt, though. On the, on the bread? Really good. Surprise me. All right. I wouldn't have a problem with that. I'd try it. That does sound good. But let's talk about LaShawn McCoy. Let's stop having Funzo talk, and let's talk about LaShawn McCoy, who came out today with his sternest denial yet of his involvement in this home invasion that his ex and a friend have accused him of playing a part in, not actually committing the home invasion, but... They, they've accused him of having somebody put up to it. Um, and it's something that I think has got to be weighing on the bills to some degree because the investigation's not over yet. And no matter how much the NFL can tell the bills, look, we have no intention of suspending him based on what we know so far, or no matter how much LaShawn McCoy says, I didn't do it, I had nothing to do with it, as long as the investigation's ongoing, there are still some unknowns. You don't. You can't say for sure what's going to happen. So, I don't know, Mike, you've been following this closely. Uh, mm-hmm. What did we learn today from LaShawn McCoy's appearance on First Take? Well, notwithstanding that it happened on my network or the network that I work for, it was a little strange that he would address it so, I don't want to say so openly because it's not like he gave every detail, but just as extensively as he did. Uh, because it really wasn't in the news cycle before this. I think I sensed a lot of fatigue among fans or other media or the team itself with the story really since September, since it became clear that he wasn't going to be affected during the season last year after the initial shock of it all. And it sort of died. I mean, the story, there, there was nothing really going on there. And this sort of revived... Uh, this as a storyline. So that part of it surprised me that he would do that. Now, was it intentional that he or his agent come out and say, hey, we're going to address this and um, give our side of the story a little deeper? I doubt it. I'm sure it was more just a public appearance on his part, and he usually does those in the offseason. He's done them at NFL Network, etc. Or it could be something as simple as, well, not simple because there's some nuance to this, but right. he wanted to come on or he has something that, like you say, it's in his his offseason repertoire. True. But then ESPN would say, as a good news organization would, okay, right. we'll have you on, but we are going to ask you about this. Right. It might have been to talk about the Super Bowl because that's eventually what the discussion got to. And I think he was on 
last year with Hannah Storm at the Super Bowl as well. So uh, that could have been it. I, again, I, I worked there, but I'm not privy to the, the details of it all. Now, um, look, that place, for a lot of people who may not know, and right. I, I worked there for three years, I was on that campus three times when I interviewed and for two annual meetings. And you almost have to remind yourself at times, like, oh, yeah, I'm on the same team as Chris Berman. Right. Or I'm on the same team as Adam Schefter, even though I'm covering the NFL and he's covering the NFL. You never come into contact with each other. Yeah, and it's such a un- – the the place is so massive. Thousands of people. There. Yeah, you ne- you'll never e- – you'll only meet a small percentage. Right. So, anyway, to get to what we learned, I mean – it wasn't anything that really advanced the story too much. I mean, he has already come out and denied all of this, not only publicly in some of his news conferences on Wednesdays early in the season, um, especially right after the story really came out in September. Um, he's also denied it legally. I mean, he's filed motions to dismiss and motions to strike. So the fact that he's coming out and saying this didn't happen is nothing new. I think he just did it to a greater extent than he has before. Um, what really, I don't want to say struck me, because I know it to be true, but what might strike some people is that it's still ongoing. I mean, this story is not dead. It has been six months since this home invasion happened, but the NFL, and they confirmed this today to me, that they're still looking into it. That case is not closed on their end. McCoy said it himself today, said, quote, the NFL is still going through it. They're investigating me in the situation. I'll just be honest with them. As far as police, I reached out to the police spokesperson today just as part of this entire story. And, again, it kind of got this back in the news today, him going on. And the police in Milton, Georgia, said – and an automatic reply to my email was within a minute. It must have been some keyword I had in my email and triggered this automatic response that was dated October 5th. Quote, there's still no new or additional. October 5th. Right, which was, you know, almost four months ago at this point. There's still no new or additional information to share regarding the investigation of the home invasion that took place on July 10th. Um, at the onset of the investigation, Milton police confirmed LaShawn McCoy is the property owner of record and to date, which I assume means October 5th, despite multiple requests, Mr. McCoy has been unavailable to speak directly to detectives regarding the incident. Um, so it doesn't seem like that has changed. And then, well, I mean, we're not, uh, we shouldn't even try to be armchair lawyers, but right. the fact that he's not, per- uh, that he's not participating in the investigation, well, that that has. And you've been, talked to lawyers on both sides. Yes. What's I mean? What's well, that's your... been part of their legal argument from Delicia Cordon, his ex girlfriend, is that it's suspicious on their end that this was an invasion at his own home, and he, to date, according to their legal filings, has been unwilling to even hand over the surveillance footage from the house. So, if his legal defense, which it really hasn't been, his legal defense is that he has nothing to do with it. But if if he wants to argue legally that somebody else did it, then you'd think that maybe he would hand over the footage and and say, you know, try to solve the crime that happened at my house because it wasn't me. But that really hasn't been his defense today. It's just it seems to have been denial and avoidance for for lack of a better word, which before we can get, be a good legal right. strategy. Then before we get too far along, I did give a little bit of a teaser there of. LaShawn McCoy mentioning for the first time why he was benched 
for the beginning of that week seventeen, week sixteen game, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it wasn't anything untoward. At least his claim today is that it was because he was late for the team bus that morning, and that Coach uh, Sean McDermott holds everybody to the same standard. And if Lashawn McCoy is going to miss the bus, then he was. Uh, he was held on the sideline for the opening play of that game, so therefore he didn't get the start, even though he then came in to the game on the very next play. So it was mostly symbolic more than anything else. So right. uh, I didn't want to leave that dangling out there as, as though it were some uh, scandalous tidbit right. that we were withholding uh, regarding the, the home invasion. But, I think at this point that's it's almost old news because, you know, it wasn't a meaningful game. It wasn't Malcolm Butler being held out of the Super Bowl. It was... A meaningless game for the Bills, I think. And it was one play. Right, it was one play. And I think, again, it was more symbolic. I think, if anything, it would speak to where he stood with the team going forward. But in the meantime, we've heard from Sean McDermott and Brendan Bean, who have both insisted that he's part of their plans next season. In retrospect, you would think that's something that they should have just gone ahead and admitted, as opposed to it was a story for a few days. Right. People wondering why LaShawn McCoy, and again, in, in the grand scheme of things, not a big deal to be held out for one play. But when everybody is so ambiguous about it and there was speaking in such vague terms, other then, possibilities there. Yeah, that you week. wonder, well, what's what's going on? When here? he told the media, you know, why wouldn't that be starting, et cetera? Like there was a lot to, um, did he th- a lot of smoke there that you could have attached to it? Absolutely. But anyway, to get back to legally, I mean, the criminal aspect, as we've said all along, is only one part of it. The police investigation, the NFL investigation those are two prongs of it the other is the civil side of it so you had that lawsuit that was filed by Delicia Cordon back in August LaShawn McCoy moved to dismiss that that was denied by a judge in state court in Georgia in December in the meantime in early January his co-defendant TJ Porter who played with him at Pitt his longtime friend business partner he moved that case to federal court a couple weeks ago, which is something a defendant can do legally. So now it's in federal court where T.J. Porter is trying to get the case dismissed. And in the meantime, you have Cordon, who last week filed a motion to move it back to state court. So there's a lot of legal wrangling there. There's procedures in federal court that are different than state court that would favor McCoy. A lot of um, motivation there for, for the case to go one way or the other, but... The bottom line is that it's still ongoing, and at the end of the day, there could be a judgment years from now, potentially, that would um, make LaShawn McCoy liable for what happened. Or, conversely, it could clear him from any liability in this, and I think in either case, it's important to his legacy. This is a guy who continuously talks about potentially being in the Hall of Fame and wanting to be in the Hall of Fame, and if I'm... In that meeting, which I won't be, and who knows who the, the Buffalo selector will be at that point, but you're trying to argue for or against him, maybe you know Philadelphia guy, this is an important piece of that. So I think it is important not to brush the story aside and say... Well, it's not. Technically, it's not, because it's supposed to... Character right. and off-field stuff is not supposed to play into the Pro Football Hall of Fame discussion, which is what got should. Peter King into some trouble... Uh, a few years ago when he said that we can't uh, or we're not allowed to uh, contemplate Darren Sharper's off-field incidents, being a serial rapist. Right. Uh, we're not allowed to 
factor that. Therefore, and I think at the time Peter King said, I would have to vote for Darren Sharper to but be not in the Hall Antonio of Fame. Antonio Brown, which right. was the big controversy. So, um, Again, I'm not but saying, I hear you. It should. I mean, I hear you. Whether it's materially impacts the discussion over his candidacy or it's just something in the court of public opinion about his legacy, I think one way or the other, that should be should be part of it. And not only that, and he brought this up on his own today, basically saying, look, anybody can say what they want about me. He brought up what happened in 2016 in Philadelphia, where it was him and TJ Porter and two of their friends in, in the bar fight um, with Philadelphia off-duty cops and ended up nobody was charged out of that because the DA didn't feel like there was enough evidence. He was subsequently sued in September of 2016 by those two cops. That lawsuit still pending. I spoke to the lawyer for both of those cops today, and he said he believes that there will be a resolution within the next six to eight weeks um, because that case was sent to mediation last year. So That's interesting. That one's still ongoing, too. So, I mean, these things don't die, I think, as quickly as as people think. And, again, I, I think it's important not to brush these things aside and say, you know, his on-field play notwithstanding, like he, he could be on the decline or whatever. He could be irrelevant on the field. But these things are still important when you talk about the guy's legacy one way or the other. Not just his legacy, but his availability next season. Right. Because you don't know what the next big piece of information is going to be. If somebody does get a hold of the videotapes or the surveillance uh, inside, um, if he gets cleared, I mean, that'd be great. But there is this this unanswered question hanging uh, as long as uh, we don't really know what the law enforcement agencies are going to do regarding this uh, this case. We know that the civil case is moving along, but the the criminal aspect of it is still ambiguous. Right, and sometimes it just takes <sighs> – I mean, we've seen it with Ray Rice. We've seen it with Kareem Hunt. It takes that visual evidence to kind of push yeah. people's opinions forward. That is or, true. I mean, not to – I don't want to compare them necessarily, but the R. Kelly situation. You had the Lifetime docuseries that came out a couple weeks ago. And, and everybody's been talking and making remarks about R. Kelly for years. Yeah. Right, but it never – And it only took until today or yesterday that R. Kelly and Sony decided to part ways. Right. There's been videos for years too, but it yes. never, right. it to never though, right? took root enough. And I watched part of that R. Kelly thing, and I'm thinking like, you think back to Delicia Cordon's press conference in September, where she's saying she's been contacted by four or five other women who women, women who claim <laughs> the same thing has happened to them. Yeah, and she later said in sworn legal proceedings that she was physically abused by him. You have a sworn affidavit by the mother of McCoy's child saying there was child abuse. It's like in, in these in these people's eyes, and I've talked to their lawyers in some cases. It's like, what more can we do? Like we've we've tried to get that word out, and people don't believe us. And I'm not saying they should be believed or they shouldn't, but there, there is a lot there. I'll put it that way. Well, when we come back, we're going to have. Uh, well, I, I guess I should set up the show in general. We uh, we got. Uh, we got right into the LaShawn McCoy uh, updates from uh, First Take this morning. Uh, but on the show today, uh, we're going to have, for the first time, Nate Butel, 
Niagara County Community College women's basketball coach. And you may say, like, why are you having him on the show? We're having him on the show because NCCC is 19-0 heading into tonight's game against Monroe Community College. That game's in Sanborn. And NCCC women's program is one of the below-the-radar great programs. And everybody's talking, and rightfully so, about UB, men and women. Uh, Last year about uh, Canisius maybe going to um, the NCAA tournament if they could win the Metro Atlantic. Uh, the job Mike McDonald's doing at Damon, but the job that Nate Butel's been doing with NCCC, uh, we're going to talk to him about it. His record there, his career record, 152-50, and 50. and they're 19-0 and this year. They've gone deep into a season undefeated before, and uh, we're going to talk with him uh, about uh, the Thundercats, the Thunderwolves, the Thundercats. <laughs> that's that, that's uh, an old cartoon. that bad cartoon. Nate deserves better than to be called the Thundercats. Thunderwolves. Anybody have Thundercats? Any Thundercat action figures? No, I had them when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I never. That I was, was a big just, Thundercat that was fan. Just be, that was just after my Star Wars phase. I was a big uh, Power Rangers guy. Yeah, you look the type. Yeah. Yeah, you look like a Power Ranger. Like what was the Thunderbird? <laughs> was that? Well, the Thunderbird's what my dad used to keep under the, uh, under the sink in the, in the uh, utility room. Kept it in this uh, bottle that didn't look like it was supposed to be, you know, and then it, uh, yeah. I mean, that's it, like. Uh, it made me, I, I had to. 60s. I'd go blind every now and then. The Thunderbirds is the, uh, what was the takeoff of the uh, the um, Trey Parker, the Parker, uh, Trey Parker. Matt Stone. Matt Stone. Uh, the movie that they did. Basketball. With the puppets. No, it was the puppet. puppet. The Thunderbirds are the puppets. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking 60s. about. Creepy. Um, I haven't seen these in a while. All right, anyway, we'll talk about that. Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic is going to be on uh, later in the show, too, to give us a report from the Senior Bowl. Uh, he was uh, with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott yesterday. He's been hanging around a lot of the prospects uh, and the scouts, uh, getting the scoop on uh, what we should look for here in the, the coming weeks and months as we uh, gear up towards the draft. And... Uh, Much, much more here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Uh, Tim's discounted prices shot out of the ground by premium prices. The Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270. I don't want to just uh, do a slap and tickle here. Yeah, slap and tickle can get us in trouble these days. Yeah, I'd give you consent, Ernie, so it's uh, no issue for me. Taking your calls at 270-1270. Get into it after the hour when we have more time to uh, spread our legs a little bit. This is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan, The Tim Graham Show. Jonah, what does this song remind me of? A wizard? No? You don't know this? No, it's not ringing a bell for me. Baby Joe Macy's ring entrance oh, music. Oh, okay. I was there for that, but I don't remember the music. All, it was for every fight. Also, Arturo Thunder Gotti's ring entrance music. Yeah. And it's also Nate Thunderwolf Butel's 
entrance music. Nate Butel is the women's basketball coach at Niagara County. See, in Ohio, where I'm from, they don't do the county. Just it's say just community college. And trip. I know. But I want to say I want to say it all to begin with, just to give, I want to be official. Like when we do, when you would write a story for the Associated Press, you say it all out the first time, and then you can refer to it in shorthand from then from then on. True. Right? Nate Butel, women's basketball coach at Niagara County Community College, NCCC. That's why it rolls off, NCCC. 19-0 heading into tonight's conference opener against Monroe Community College. See, they don't go Monroe County Community College. That game's in Sanborn tonight. Nate Butel has taken some time from his pregame prep to check in with us and to tell us about these 19-0 Thunderwolves. Nate, thanks for coming on. Hey, Tim. What's going on? Thanks for having me. Jonah Bronstein's here, and so is uh, Mike Rodak of ESPN.com. We're going to have rapid-fire questions for you. We're going to put you on the spot, ask you all the tough ones. Perfect. But I want to reiterate, Nate Butel's career record at NCCC, 152-50. and Now... Prior to NCCC, you coached for two seasons. You were the boys' varsity coach at Grand Island High School. How do you go from coaching boys' basketball to junior college powerhouse on the women's side? And let's yeah, just say, and, uh, and let's point out, it wasn't like he took over a powerhouse. This oh, team, no, it, Nate, Nate turned this into a powerhouse. A couple funny things there. Uh, you mentioned the record. Uh, you don't want to mention my record at Grand Island. I think we won four games in two years. Well, then how do you um, get this job? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, twofold. One, uh, one. I was working for the newspaper at the time. I was working with the Niagara Gazette, and I used to cover these games. So I could tell you that the women's program was not very strong. Uh, some of those games against Monroe were 80, 90, 100-point defeats. Um, so, you know, we've come a long way since I got here seven years ago. Uh, and really the, the biggest reason why I got this job was my relationship with Bob McEwen, um, you know, former Channel 7 sportscaster and athletic director here, and he's now one of our vice presidents. Um, you know, we, we go back a long way through Star Point High School, and, you know, he believed in me and gave me an opportunity. Uh, I think he says it all the time. He knows that I, I hit the recruiting trail harder than anybody else. And at our level of basketball where you have to constantly reload and, um, you know, re- reinvent your roster, um, that's, that's the name of the game, recruitment. What are some things that you would tell a coach or an athletic director or anybody who's trying to build a program, whether it's Division One, I'm sure there are some universal principles that have served you well and through trial and error, and you've been successful here uh, several seasons later as you're uh, as you've been there at at NCCC of building a program, especially from scratch, turning a program around. What has been what have been the keys that you would say anybody could? Um, extrapolate and use to their benefit yeah i think the first thing that we did here is you know try to change that culture i mean there was kind of a a losing mentality and in general at the school here in the athletics department and that was you know rapidly changing when i came here with our men's basketball program our wrestling program and our baseball program and i just think seeing their success you know we we wanted to be a part of that and we knew we were going to have to put in the work and the time Uh, And, you know, one of our sayings when I first started here was to outwork our opponent every single day, you know, whether that was in practice, workouts, 
or myself, recruitment and scouting and things of that nature. So that's that's kind of where we started to build or rebuild the program. Um, and then in, in past years, you know, it's really been about, you know, this is a stepping stone. One of our slogans at our school is the smart place to start. You know, this is an opportunity for kids to come for two years, uh, improve on and off the floor, maybe in the classroom or, or just a simple maturity aspect, and then have the opportunity to then play at a four-year school. And you know, I've been lucky enough to have – more than a dozen players earn scholarships out of their time, uh, you know, after after NCCC, and you know that that even more than those 152 wins is is really important to me that they they continue on with their education and and have that opportunity to continue to play at a higher level. And where where have some of those um, landing spots been? Yeah, and you know what's funny? Uh, a lot of the schools you probably you either never heard of. Um, you know, I've got a girl that came from Medina and went to Montevallo University in Alabama. Um, I believe Rusty Greer went there for baseball. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, we've had girls at American International, certainly Damon, uh, Post University in Connecticut, uh, UNC Pembroke, Alderson Broadus. So all throughout the country, these have been opportunities that, you know, maybe weren't there for these kids out of high school, uh, but after their two years with us, you know, they were, they were blessed to have those chances. You know, Nate, you guys, you got a team this year, 19-0, and 0, score 95 points a game, holding people to 52 points a game, uh, shooting 40% from threes. Remarkable stats. As much success as you guys have had in the past years, what's been – what about this team has kind of taken it to the next level over what you've had in the past couple of years? Yeah, I think it's the fact that we, we share the ball and we have so many weapons. Um, you know, we've got six girls averaging more than nine points a game. We average 25 assists a game as a team. Um, you know, we, we like to play that fast pace, shoot a lot of threes. Um, and and there's, there's two ways to look at that. One, you know, that's how the Golden State Warriors have been playing for the last handful of years. And, you know, that's what the fans want to see and that's what the kids want to play. Uh, that's the style that they want to play in. And two, Monroe Community College won the national title last year, taking about 43s a game and averaging 95 points a game. So, you know, I'd be a fool not to try and copycat on that. Is this the, the Joe Mahalik influence? I know you grew up watching his teams. <laughs> it could, that could be some of it. Um, but like I said, I, I just want my kids to, to enjoy playing and, and be happy out there. And, you know, this is the style that, you know, they enjoy playing, and it's fun every day in practice. I mean, even – you know, our second team's playing the same style, and you know they they they've they've had a lot of fun with it. We're in conversation with Nate Butel, women's basketball coach at Niagara County Community College, and Triple C. They're nineteen and zero heading into tonight's game against Monroe Community College, and I also should point out that that game tips off at five thirty. So here is Coach Butel on the air with us an hour before the game starts. What are what are your uh, what are your players doing right now while you're on the horn gabbing with us? I was just getting prepped in the locker room. We just had our shoot around. Uh, Monroe just Who's arrived a few minutes ago. Uh, they're prepping themselves. Well, why don't you? Uh, uh, can you give us the game plan? I don't think anybody from the other side's listening. Yeah, I don't live think. Here. I don't think Monroe Community College listening. What are you going to do tonight? It'll. You know, it's they. They haven't played in over a month. Um, so that's number one is to kind of blitz them early. Um, for, for it's a quirky part of their schedule. Um, you know, where, where they, they haven't played in a long time. So, you know, we want to jump on them. Uh, transition game is always important against them. Like I said, they're, they're usually a team that gets up and down the floor as good as anybody in the country. So transition is important on both ends. Rebounding is always key. They always seem to have a big kid that's a scholarship-level kid, and they do again this year. Um, and then we just need to take care of the basketball and execute. Um, I'll be honest. I mean, 
we've been playing them, like I said, for, for seven years here. And I, I would say this is the first time I go in and I feel like we have the better team. And there's no reason why you know tonight can't be the night that we get it done. Night, uh, Nate, uh, despite all your success, uh, that regional championship and getting into the national tournament has been elusive. What's been the difference or what adjustments or what different feeling do you have as you enter February here and then that, uh, uh, I believe that tournament starts on February 27th. So uh, in about a month, uh, you're going to be going into that regional tournament. Um, what makes you feel different about this year's team than in years past? Yeah, our slogan this year is determined to dominate. And I think, you know, it's, it's in that first word. I think there's determination with this group, um, you know, and, and kind of folding it all together. Some of them are determined to earn a scholarship. Some of them are determined to enjoy the last two years that they're ever going to play the game. And some of them are just determined to win because, you know, they're motivated by uh, success and they're driven by that. And uh, I think that's what makes this team just slightly different than the other teams. I, lo- I love all the girls that I've had. But this group here, you know, just has that special little determination um, that, that I think can, can carry us, uh, you know, over the next six weeks. And Nate, you're a regular listener to our show. I know uh, Mike McDonald, a regular guest on our show. I'm sure you've, you've heard him in here. He, he's a mentor of yours. Same with uh, the men's coach out there, Bill Beeline, Gabe Michael at St. Joe's, a lot of other local coaches. If you could just tell us, what, what about working under Coach Mack has – allowed you guys to have this kind of success branching out uh from working there yeah i mean relationships um coach mcdonald is universally liked i think in western new york and beyond um you know you guys have had some you know national level coaches and guests on that you know mentioned his name um as if you know they were they were buddies having a beer together um he's just a guy that you know has developed and cultivated great relationships with people in and out of the basketball community and um, utilize that to, uh, you know, improve his program. And, um, you know, I, I think we've, we've learned a lot from him in that regard. So we, we've, we've tried to mold ourselves in that same regard. Um, you know, Coach McDonald's also you know, just a great person. And that's, that's a bigger part of this is, you know, developing a rapport with your players. And, um, you know, in order to get, you get text today, I got several from some of my former players saying, hey, tonight's the night, go and beat Monroe. And, um, you know, that's, that's kind of special. Well, with all the great stories that we have going on with college basketball here in Western New York, let's not forget about NCCC women's basketball because they are having a great season again. It's not something that it's just because it's this year and uh, they have the right uh, players in place and things are all locking in. This is a program that's been built, and uh, the coach right here, Nate Butel, 152-50 152-50 and 50 in his time at NCCC, 19-0 and 0 heading into this game tonight. And thank you for taking time, 40 minutes before tip-off, uh, to come on the Tim Graham Show. It means a lot to us, Nate, and uh, we'll be seeing you around. Good luck tonight. All right, thanks, Tim. 40 minutes of hell tonight. That Between now and the tip-off? <laughs> no. Oh, I see. After, drive after tip-off, I see. That's my Nolan Richardson line. <laughs> right. Give it to him. Go give it to him good now. All right, sounds All right. good. Nate Butel, thanks. thanks for joining us. We'll be back after this. We're going to have uh, – are we going to have Big Bill Benditson? William Benditson from uh, Sports Exchange Checking and Maven, in. Patriots reporter. I think we're going to try to get him maybe after this break at some point in the show. We're also going to have Matthew Fairburn from the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama to give us the latest on what's going on with the Bills. How's the weather out there? 
It's always bleak. I mean, you think you hear Mobile, Alabama, down on the Gulf, and it's not a, it's no destination. It's usually mid fifties. It's no destination. I've never, I, I have no interest in going. Uh, people, some people like to go. I don't. I'm not one of them. All right, that and much, much more on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show, not the fan. I really hear voices in my head. Yes, we all hear voices in our head. I can hear the voices in my head again. Sports Radio 1270, 1270. The Fan. And on the Fans app, free to download in the App Store. Now back to the Tim Graham Show. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Our thanks to Nate Butel of NCCC. We're going to have Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic. And good luck to Nate, too. Coming at us from the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Give us the latest on what he's learned from the Bills. I know he's been down there talking to Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. That's what my wife calls it, Alabama. She's from there. Exactly. So uh, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. So I've I'm, never heard somebody else call it that. No? Somebody about, who's not an Alabamian. Oh, well, see, I'm, a, I'm worldly. Ah, I've always known he to be. I'll even drop a Missouri on you every now and then. Yeah. You know who's on the line? William Benditson. He's the Patriots reporter for Sports Exchange. And Maven. The team that he covers reached the Super Bowl again for the ninth time in the Brady-Belichick era. And uh, William Benditson has covered every game. He's going to be in Atlanta for the Super Bowl. And it was a pretty, you want to say improbable finish, but you get used to this. It, It becomes predictable finish for the New England Patriots. So, William, what are your thoughts on the Patriots as they head into this game against the Rams? And uh, they're they're considered the favorite in the game, but I'm not so sure of it. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I think we're all still stunned by the Chiefs' victory. That I don't know if anybody's completely turned the page yet to the Rams. I know the players say they have. Maybe that's why I don't play for Bill Belichick. I think Chiefs' game. But anyways, uh, I think it. Uh, I do think the Patriots have a slight advantage. You know, the Chiefs are probably a better team than the Rams, at least a better offense. I think uh, Mahomes is better than Jared Goff, and uh, I think their receiving core is a little limited at receiver with Woods and Cooks. And after that, I don't think they, they, there's that much there. As again, I say I haven't uh, watched them. You know, I watched the, some of the New Orleans game, but I haven't watched them as, that extensively yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, Gurley's knee is beat up, so... I think there is a feeling that uh, the Patriots uh, should be able to score, but the challenge is going to be with Donald and Sue up front. They're going to have a much harder time running the ball than they did either against the Chargers or the Chiefs. So, I mean, I think maybe they do some misdirection plays to Patterson. 
Um, but I think Wade Phillips is going to have a smarter game plan than Bob Sutton did. You know, they played a lot of two deep safeties, which I don't really understand. The Patriots' deep threat. I would get a safety lower to the box. But I think if they do that, you know, they can take Edelman away. And I expect them to probably put Tlaib on Gronkowski and, you know, do what they have to do to take away Edelman. But, yeah, I think defensively this is probably the biggest challenge the Patriots have faced. I would be stunned if the Rams can't sack Tom Brady, and that's been the case through the two playoff games so far. Tom Brady's not been sacked. What does... No, he hasn't. I mean, the offensive line has been really good. They, You know, an arrowhead, they didn't have a – a uh, penalty, a false start, or anything like that. They didn't give up a sack, as you said. I do think one thing, though, and no knock on the offensive line, but the Patriots were concerned about D. Ford and Justin Houston, so they got rid of the ball quickly, you know, to neutralize the pass rush, got it out in, you know, three, four seconds. So that, that was part of their game plan. It was going to be hard to rush the pass, and I think that's why D. Ford lined up slightly offside, because he was getting frustrated all game, not getting to Brady. He said during the week, look, I've got to get there quickly. He knew how quickly they were getting the ball out. Uh, so it, it's a little understandable why it happened. Obviously still inexcusable, but so that's what it is. Yeah, I think the, the thing that the, uh, the, uh, the Rams can do that I don't think the other two teams they play can do is really get pressure up the middle with Donald and Sue. And uh, obviously, Bill Belichick always makes it a point to take away the other team's uh, best player. So they're going to do everything to minimize Donald. But, yeah, I think the Rams are going to try to get pressure. They need to get pressure to win. Um, and I think – and I, I do expect a, a better defensive effort than, than, than we've either of these two games. Now, the Chiefs did fix some things in the second half. They limited the run. But obviously, until the last two drives – you know, last three drives, the Patriots got touchdowns. So – they just couldn't stop him in the end. And uh, I think Wade Phillips will learn. Don't play too deep safety against the Patriots. They don't have the deep threat. Get a guy lower safety in the box and, you know, try to stop Edelman. I think Tlaib can limit Gronkowski. Um, and, you know, the rest of the Patriots receivers are okay, Hogan and Dorsett. But that's really where, you know, if the Patriots are going to beat you. It's with Edelman and Gronk and, and James White. A lot of Patriots players this week have pointed to – uh, that game against the Bills in Week 16 in Foxborough is sort of the turning point of their season where, in their minds, they saved it um, from where it might have been heading. What, in your eyes, have they done differently over these past four games, the two regular season games to end it, and then the two playoff games that they weren't doing before then? Uh, yeah, I think the Bills game was important. Remember the week before they lost to Pittsburgh. Uh, then the week before that, they had lost to Miami, so they would coming off a two-game losing streak, the Miami Miracle. I mean, to me, the biggest improvement against the Bills was they fixed the run defense. The run defense was really bad in Miami and Pittsburgh. They gave up over 150 yards each time, and I think they got their run defense better. They also got their confidence back. You know, they didn't play well on the road this year. They were 3-5. and five. They started slow, but they played the Bills and the Jets. They got wins there. Uh, then they had two weeks to prepare for the Chargers win at home. All of a sudden, they're confident. And, uh, you know, Belichick has always done a good job when he plays an opponent for the second time. I think they knew Kansas City well. They recognized that, uh, you know, playing zone against Hill in the second half and the game here wasn't effective. He had three touchdowns. So they decided to double him, get physical. And, um, you know, they, they and, and, and with Jackson, and they just got physical with the Chiefs receivers. That said, the Chiefs still got uh, 31 points. So, you know, Ford doesn't uh, jump off sides. You know, people that cover the team, like me, are probably writing about a defensive collapse in the second half. Instead, you know, we're more writing about, you know, the Brady's, another Brady epic performance. But, 
yeah, I think it was an accomplishment that they fixed the run defense. They seemed to get more of a pass rush. They had four sacks, I think it was, Sunday. So that was good. Um, and the other thing, I don't know how anybody could predict this, but the linebacker play has been as good as it's been all year. Van Noy had two sacks in the first half. He had ten tackles overall. Hightower played really well against the Chargers. Uh, Landon Roberts, out of nowhere, has finally been an effective run-stuffing linebacker. So all of a sudden, you know, you never know sometimes when things are going to click. And uh, it, it's clicked with the linebacking core. So I have to say, if there's the biggest improvement with the defense, it's been in the linebacking core. The secondary by the second half of the year was pretty good. Uh, even in the Pittsburgh game, they limited Antonio Brown. Uh, J.C. Jackson uh, looks like a steal. He was good against Juju Smith-Schuster. So, yeah, the secondary is good. I just think the linebacking core, them playing better, has allowed them to get more pressure on the quarterback. And Yeah, I think we saw that in the, in the Bills game. The other thing was, you know, they didn't let Josh Allen run all over them, and uh, they didn't let Patrick Mahomes run all over them in Kansas City. We're in conversation with William Benditson, Patriots reporter for Sports Exchange and Maven. And uh, one thing that maybe we should factor in, even though I think it's a bit of BS, but there's a psychological aspect maybe to what the Patriots are doing, where they're pretending like they're the underdog. And whatever a team seems to latch on to, whatever it needs to get itself juiced up to get a little extra, what, whether it's legitimate or not, whether it's silly, whatever they tap into, they tap into. Whether it's the coach lying to them, and I'm not saying that Belichick's doing it. I'm t- talking about methods that are used by coaches, by boxing trainers, by whatever. Somebody will just out out lie. You know what they're saying about you over there? putting stuff out of the out of the newspapers, printing stuff out on the internet or playing something that they heard on a call-in show. Just the whole disrespect card. But the Patriots, nobody would we were talking just as we brought you in, uh, William, about how almost predictable it was that they come back and win that game. Everybody knows the Patriots are great. Everybody to the point that they're sick of them. And here the yeah, Patriots are that. acting like they they're getting well, disrespected. There's a nuance there, not to cut off William, we'll get to him in a second, but just I'm saying I think the Patriots play it as nobody thinks we're good, which may or not may or may not be true. I think there are certainly some sentiment out there that you know they've declined, but I think the true feeling that there should be is that nobody wants us to win. I think that's right. Everybody's probably closer tired to the of truth. them. It's like, right. like the Bills when they went to their four straight Super Bowls. I see comparisons to be made there of that video that Tom Brady and Rob Bronkowski, that silent video as they're walking to the bus giving you that that grin reminds me of that the uh, audio that we got from the Bills sideline when they're heading back to the fourth Super Bowl and I th- I want to say it's Bruce Smith or maybe it's Tally and one of them's like we're back whether you like it or not like we're coming back sorry you know they're and they're chuckling because they know everybody's sick of them and that's where the Patriots are right now so uh, William yeah, I think, you being around the sorry. team what's your your sense on this whole underdog mentality uh, I think it really uh, surfaced the first time last week I I, I don't think they they played it that much against the Chargers because they were at home 8-0. But I think last week they really needed to use it because of their struggles on the road. Kansas City was the one seed. There was a feeling that Kansas City was the more talented team. Maybe they are. They're probably about even. They played two games. One went to the, the game here. The Patriots won on the final field goal, final play, and the, the game in overtime. But I think they need to play it up to motivate them. Look, nobody thinks we're good enough. Brady said to Hogan after the game, everyone thinks you're too slow, I'm too old. So... Yeah, I think they played it up. And look, 
athletes are always looking for self-motivation. And I think it's important with these guys, while Belichick always says that, you know, look, the past doesn't mean anything. I'm just focused on the next game. He says that a hundred times. I think he knows that, look, this team, you know, Brady's won five Super Bowls. Devin McCourty's won two. Rob Gronkowski's won two. I mean, Julian Edelman. So these guys have won. So, you know, to keep the motivation strong, I think you've got to find a certain angle. And, and look, when you're going on the road as the two seed to the one seed, it's easy to do that in some sense because every most people were predicting the Chiefs. The Chiefs were favored, so you can play that card. And, uh, you know, I don't know how much it, it, it works or doesn't work. I mean, that gets into psychology. But I think it was uh, important last week to keep the team motivated. And, uh, you know, they did seem motivated. And, look, I mean, at this time of year, you know, everybody's playing with aches and pains and bruises. You know, people say the Patriots are so healthy, which is true in one sense. They hardly, they didn't have anybody on the injury report at the end of last week. But we've been playing 18 real games now at this point. I mean, everybody's beat up. So you've got to keep the motivation strong. William, what's your sense on Rob Gronkowski? He played kind of a vintage performance last week in the AFC Championship game. And whether this could be his last game, his last season, do you think that'll be much of a storyline going into the game? Yeah, I think it was uh, last year a little bit. And then, uh, I mean, he considered retirement last year. Uh, you know, it's interesting that if the D4 doesn't drop off sides, I think everybody's writing that Gronk looked washed up because the ball went off his hands into the hands of the Kansas City defensive back, Traverius Ward. And to that point, he only had four catches. He hadn't really done that much. Then in the last two drives, the drive, the last drive in regulation, he has a big 25-yard catch. And then in overtime, he has a big 15-yard catch. So the narrative flips. He has two big catches. And it's the same with Edelman. Edelman didn't do that much until those last two drives when he was huge, especially in overtime, those two third and tens that he picked up. So, yeah, I think this could be it for Gronk, uh, especially if they win. I don't see what he'll now have his third Super Bowl ring. I don't see what his big motivation to come back is. Uh, you know, he said before, when his body feels good, football's a lot of fun. When it doesn't, it's miserable. Uh, I think in the, you know, he's he's been smart with his money. He sort of lived off his endorsement money, banked his salary. So I think financially he's in a good position. I don't know, you know, it's never a good time to ask a guy right after the season whether he's going to return because usually the answer is more towards no because you're beat up. But, you know, who knows? He might, you know, do nothing until April and then his hunger for football you know, continues. He's only 29 years old, so he'll turn 30 later this year. So, I mean, he's he's still young, and you know, by human standards. But you no, know, the body he's not a human. Up. What? He's not human. No, no, he's not. I mean, you look at him. You, you walk around the mall. There are not many people that you know look the size of Rob Gronkowski. But well, there's four of them around right here. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Yeah. If it's a mall in Western New York, you might run into the Gron- all the Gronkowski. Yeah. So. But there's uh, also, I, I mean, not a, yeah. There's a, there's a feral mentality too. It's not just the way they look. It's uh, it's yeah. the way Rob actually thinks that uh, isn't always quite human. No, I, I think so. And and look, I think all these guys, you know, I think one of the undersold things about Brady and Belichick, people say, well, why do they keep doing it? I mean, Brady, if they win, it'll be their sixth Super Bowl title. But I also think like this is an often underplayed angle, which is they don't really know what else to do with themselves when they retire. I mean, obviously they have unlimited money. It's not like they have to work, but, or, you know, maybe they get a job at the Tim Graham show. But what I'm saying is that they, 
you know, so they, you know, so I think the motivation and nothing makes up for this competition every Sunday, and they seem to love that competition. So I don't know if Gronk is in that category. He's going to have to balance that against his body. Uh, but the other thing that he's maybe realized or not realized is that, you know, he gets a lot of endorsements now with the pod commercials, et cetera. But, you know, once you retire, that sort of goes by the wayside or down. I know people have said he could be an action hero in Hollywood, but I think some of that's a stretch. So, he's you know, a terrible by playing, actor. He sort of, yeah, so by playing, he sort of stays relevant not only here, but his brand. You know, all these athletes now are into their brand. He keeps his brand at a much higher level. So I think he'll weigh those. My guess is if I was a betting man at Vegas, I'd say this is probably his last year, but it wouldn't shock me as much as other people if he came back for one more year. Think he shows up at the Royal Rumble Sunday? <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. But uh, where does yeah, that take place? Uh, I, I don't know, I don't know I where it, it is. No, oh, this guy. If it's in Atlanta, I'm sure he's not going to be allowed to leave the team. No, he's not going to show. Up. Maybe <laughs> WrestleMania though, and right. Mars. That's right. Yeah, yeah. There. sure that would make Belichick real happy. Well, when he shows up in March, it will be his debut because it'll be his new line of work. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what. You know, these guys try to find everything to do, but uh, is it really going to give him the same? You know, like last year he didn't take the call from the Lions. I know uh, my take on the situation was the uh, Patriots sort of, and there's been different interpretations, but for the draft last year, I think the Patriots really wanted an answer of was he going to retire, was he going to come back, do you want to play for the team anymore? Because I think they did think about trading him. Now when the Lions called and he wouldn't take their calls, he sort of made it clear that he was either going to play for the Patriots or not play for anybody. But uh, and I think he's at that point now. I don't. I don't see him going to another team. It would surprise me. I think he likes playing with Brady. He knows his chances are much better of doing well, and that will keep him more motivated. I don't think he'd be motivated to come play for you know Cleveland or even if the money was better. I think he, you know, he likes the idea of being on a winning team over the money. What about being on a hometown team instead of the money? The Buffalo Bills need a tight end. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, he's under contract for one more year with the Patriots, so he's not a it's not he's not a free agent. So if he wants to come back and play, he essentially has to come back to the Patriots unless they of course could trade him. Uh I don't think they would trade him within the division. Um but look he could play one more year here and then maybe um I guess uh, you know, go to Buffalo. But uh you know I mean, I, I, I'm sure, if, you know, everybody's tradable, I always say, maybe except Brady if the offer's right. I mean, yeah, I'm sure if the Bills gave up a first-round pick, uh, they'd, they'd ship him to Buffalo because uh, I think they know at most he's going to play, you know, one, I mean, two more years would really surprise me. Um, you know, it's interesting. Ben Coates who was a big tight end around here in the 90s, played nine years, and then his production really fell off. And Gronkowski's in his ninth year. So there is a little bit of a correlation there. And, um, I mean, look, I, if I was a Hall of Fame voter, which I'm not, I, I think I would vote for him. There's only eight tight ends in the Hall of Fame. I think he's uh, the Tony greatest Gonzalez. tight end to ever play. I don't even think it's any question. I think he's a first-ballot Yeah, Tony Gonzalez will be the ninth this year. But, yeah, I agree with you. I think he's, his blocking, I mean, even in the Chargers game where he had only one catch, he was a big reason why the Chargers couldn't stop the run. He is one of the best blockers I've ever seen. I thought he blocked well again on Sunday, so he still has a, a big value in the blocking game. He's just, I think his speed isn't what it was, so he has trouble getting open. That said, he got, you know, he got open on his two big catches at the end of the fourth quarter in overtime on Eric Berry, who's one of the better safeties in the league. So, you know, he can, you know, he can make the plays. I remember 
tweeting in December, you know, I said I had a dream about Gronkowski having a big uh, playoffs and then walking into retirement. And he's sort of done that so far. So, you know, maybe he saved his best for the end. He paced himself this year. Um, but, but, you know, look, even next year if he decides to play, he's not the Gronkowski of old, but he's still better than a lot of tight ends. He'd still be one of the best five tight ends in the league in my estimation. so Maybe a, dreams will come true, William. And thanks for being on. I'm going to see you down in Atlanta. I'll be there for the Super Bowl. and so You uh, and Matthew Fair- Fairburn will be there? Matthew Fairburn will not be there. Oh, he's um, not going? But there, there will be so many of us. How can you have a Super Bowl without Matthew Fairburn? Well, They've had some before. Yeah, there have been, <laughs> I mean, you know. been 52 of them, but you're right. You know, it is a new I era. I mean, Tim, uh, Tim admires a lot of people, Rodak being one of them, me much lower down on the list. Rodak won't be Matthew there Matthew Fairburn's at the top of his Tim's list. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're going to have Matthew Fairburn on to talk. He's at the Senior Bowl right now, so he's living it up. Uh, he gets to enjoy the Senior Bowl, and we get to be jealous of him, and we're just stuck with the Super Bowl. So, But, yeah. William, great great to have you on. Thanks for coming on on short notice. Hopefully I and, gave you guys uh, some insight. I tried to, you know, that's what I try to do. <laughs> loved it. Loved it as always, and uh, hopefully we get to have you on again. Yeah, perfect. Tim and Rodak, always good to hear from you. I love you guys. All right, William, you, we love you too. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show, we're going to have Matthew Fairburn on the line from Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. And we're going to talk about UB Hoops and their two-point loss, big upset loss at Northern Illinois last night. But we're going to talk about how this could be one of the best things to ever happen to UB, at least this season. Some good can come from it on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Good old-fashioned American girl-on-girl action. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by the good folks at Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacummingslindsay.com. What's with this intro music? <laughs> you like it? I, have a I, big I, I don't mind that. I'm just wondering. Is it's kind of cool, a though, right? Behind it? No. Okay. Sometimes there is. Sometimes you got to read into it. But This is just you Googling yeah, I saw it Britney next, Spears. I was going to play Zeppelin, and then I saw this in my library, and I was like, let's hear it. By and by me. It's why, it's why you're here. You get paid. You're the musical guy. You're the, you handle all this stuff. I leave it up to you. Matthew Fairburn's on the line from Mobile, Alabama, where he's covering the Senior Bowl. Matthew Fairburn covers the Bills for the Athletic. Matthew, uh, before we get started on Bills talk, I'm going to give you a choice of uh, topics uh, to uh, just to get us going. Uh, Coventry Catholic or the Baseball Hall of Fame? Pick one. Mm, baseball Hall of Fame. Okay. Uh, Edgar Martinez deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, does not deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Hit me with some quick numbers on Edgar Martinez. Well, does it matter? Seven it's the fact All-Star. that he didn't play a position is really the crux of it. The DH award is named for him. That doesn't mean anything. Basically, my thought What is about the sixth man gut. award? The guy who had the sixth man named after him should be in the Basketball Hall of Fame? 
Although everybody's in the basketball. I'd like to too. hear Matthew's thoughts on it. I would too. My gut tells me, you know, you. I, I feel like the Hall of Fame sometimes it's like when you uh, hear a guy's name, like you kind of know one way or the other. And Edgar Martinez feels like a no to me. I don't know. I, I don't think he was ever one of the best, you know, most feared hitters in the league when he played. And like you said, that's all he did. You he raise a great point, Matt, in that when he was playing at the peak of his powers in the early 90s, let's say, I could never keep it. I had to stop and think every time I heard Edgar Martinez and Tino Martinez. Right. I, I mean, he was, I don't even know. I had to I stop mean, he, and think which one was good which. average, and he was a, a good hitter. But if you're going to be a designated hitter and expect to get into the Hall of Fame, you better have put up some crazy numbers and... I think his numbers are good. I don't know him off the top of my head, but Career. I just never felt like he was one of the best hitters. Uh, you know, not a guy that you needed to pitch around. And uh, I just don't. He didn't have anything else to his game. He didn't play the field, so it's hard to get him into the Hall of Fame just as uh, on his hitting. Three twelve career batting average, three hundred nine home runs, two batting titles, two batting titles, an RBI title, five silver sluggers. Led the league in doubles twice. Led the league in runs once. But uh, MVP voting. He was in the top 10 of MVP voting. Top 12, uh, top 11. Twice. Well, let's put it this way. No gold gloves. Does this mean that David Ortiz is a shoo-in for the Hall of Fame? He was a DH. I mean, his numbers are well. David better Ortiz. Than David Ortiz has some of those two hundred more home those runs. Those where he has he has five hundred home runs. Yeah. But what about this? All right, if Edgar Martinez can get in for doing one thing, then should Omar Vizquel be in for doing one thing? That's a great point. Omar Vizquel probably should be in. I think Omar Vizquel is more worthy than Edgar Martinez because I would say for a good stretch, a long stretch, you would probably say that Omar Vizquel was the best fielder in the entire MLB, regardless of position. Right, and he happens he to play the feet. hardest fielding position. Exactly. And I, now I think David Ortiz is a little bit different because he has signature playoff moments, many of them. It's not, you know, obviously rings and all that aren't everything, but the moments he had, the clutch moments that he had, and I do think that what I mentioned about Edgar Martinez not necessarily being one of the most feared hitters in the league, I think David Ortiz was for a stretch of time. And if I'm not mistaken, David Ortiz played a little bit of first base early in his career. He did with the Twins, even with the Red Sox. I don't think he played it well. But, but yeah, I mean, he was a DH really from 04 through through 2016 with the Red Sox. And, I mean, how many All-Stars did that guy make? Ten. Ten, yeah. He has a better case, much better case. He's also a World Series MVP and an ALCS MVP. Three uh, three championships. I just feel like the Baseball Hall of Fame has a, a lower standard than most. Well, now that's that always, Harold Baines is right, in. that's always been my perception. The lowest standard is the Basketball Hall of Fame. That's true, but it's also the overall Basketball Hall of Fame, and it's and the world. Different things figured in. And it's in. college, yeah, college, and it's women's, yeah. and which is, I mean, I don't have any issue with that, but it's it is uh, well, with some guy who's the greatest uh, Ukrainian basketball player, or the greatest. Oscar Croatian. Schmidt never played in the NBA. He's in the Hall of Fame. You got that Brazilian. right. Brazilian. You got that right. Matthew Fairburn uh, is in Mobile for the Senior Bowl. Matt, what are we learning down there? What are you learning down there about our Buffalo Bills? 
You know, I think uh, this is this is an interesting week um, in general for their whole, you know, kind of setting the table for their off season. I, I've noticed when I come down here that it's not every team that has a GM down here. It's not every team that brings their head coach or their whole coaching staff. But the Bills are, you know, do that, you know, pretty much every year since uh, Sean McDermott's been here. So. You know, these last two years, this is a big week for them. You look at last year's roster, five of the eight draft picks and six rookies overall played in the Senior Bowl. Josh Allen, Taron Johnson, Harrison Phillips, Wyatt Teller, um, Saran Neal, and Levi Wallace all played in this game. Zay Jones played in this game. Deion Dawkins played in this game. Clearly, they take this week very seriously, and so... It opens your eyes a little bit when you're looking around the field and kind of seeing, you know, that a handful of these guys could be on their roster. They value the experience. Uh, they value getting an up-close look at these guys. And Brandon Bean, you know, mentioned again, he's kind of harped on quite a bit that they're not going to draft for need. You know, won't be offense just for the sake of going offense. And so I think that was kind of, you know, something I wrote about last week, but you know, when I asked him about it this week, he had an answer that made you think, you know, it very much could be a defensive pick. You know, I think he recognizes what the talent is in this draft. The best guy down here, Montez Sweat, um, is a, you know, crazy edge rusher. He's like just very clearly the most talented guy here. I could see them going that route. I mean, he, he mentioned the pass rush as an area of concern. And um, I think they, they're leaving their options open. And obviously it starts with this week as they kind of, start to set the table for what the offseason is going to look like. We're in conversation with Matthew Fairburn, Bill's reporter for The Athletic. He's down at the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, and will be for a few more days, right? Yeah, I'm out of here tomorrow. Right. Um, so they moved practice inside today, actually, so media and teams weren't even allowed to watch. So teams were allowed to put two people uh, in the building because there see. just wasn't enough room. And so this that'll be four days down there, then? A lot yeah, of time. Monday to Monday to Thursday. Four, four days too many for me uh, in Mobile, but hey, uh, you learn a lot while you're down there. You do some great networking while you're down there. Uh, what have you learned about uh, the Bills? Uh, now we talked about how they handle the Senior Bowl, but in your discussions uh, with uh, with Brandon Bean, with Sean McDermott, uh, talking about everything from the new coaching uh, maneuvers. Uh, Anything else? Uh, what What are some uh, tidbits that you've brushed up into that dustpan? There was a, you know, in talking about the coaches, Sean McDermott was not real um, shy about saying that, you know, they wanted, they were not satisfied with the results they had at those positions, and that was why those moves were made. It wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't shy about it. Sometimes he, he can be, but, you know, clearly they're, they're trying to push things forward with these new younger coaches. Um, I think, you know, an interesting conversation I had with Brandon Bean yesterday um, about the center position kind of stuck with me because he mentioned, you know, he sleep, he'll sleep a little bit better at night when if he can get a veteran uh, at center. And, you know, he mentioned that's part of why they, you know, put so many resources into Eric Wood when they first got here. They thought, that veteran center could be real helpful for a young quarterback in his development and as he's coming along. And so that's stuck out to me because there's a lot of good centers down here, a lot of guys that have um, played a ton of football, guys with 40, 50 starts 
on their resume. And, you know, the best center in the country, Garrett Bradbury, is down here as well. And so it's a position they could, you know, address in the draft, but it seems like, um, and I know you've, uh, t- you know, in talking to some people for the offseason series we did, know that, um, you know, people that have been around and, and built offensive lines value that position so highly, and they also value experience at that position. I think it's something that, um, you know, it's not easy to jump right in and be a center in the NFL. And so sometimes it's, it might be better to get a guy who's, you know, been through some battles and, and knows, you know, how to play that position, knows how to deal with a quarterback, knows how to recognize protections and things like that. So I'd be interested to see if that's a priority for them in free agency. Um, and, you know, obviously they've got plenty of needs on that side of the ball, but I think it starts right in the middle. Yeah, and free agency, uh, not a ton of options. And, um, you know, Matt Paradise out of Denver. Yeah, he's the big uh, one. Ryan Khalil uh, in Carolina with some familiarity, of course, with uh, with the Bills. Uh, I believe Khalil's there. hanging it up, isn't he? Uh, Is Khalil hanging him up? Well, see. I have not heard that, but what do I know? I could be wrong. But we could Mitch also Morris be looking at a trade situation, State. too, uh, if um, – and I wonder what Bobby Johnson, the new offensive line coach, how much say he's going to have in this. Any indication he's at all? He's been very involved down here. Yeah, what he's been you, up what close and observe? personal. He's been, you know, pretty much on the field throughout all these practices, which is not always the vantage point guys go for. But him and Brian Dable have been up close and personal with these offensive linemen. Brian Dable is actually one of the two guys designated to you know, watch practice live today um, for the Bills. Brandon Bean did not go. Um, he had other things that he was dealing with, but that was one of the two guys that they decided to send. So it makes you realize what they're looking at, what they're kind of, uh, you know, looking for. And um, that offensive side of the ball is going to be real important. And I, I, I wonder, you know, Bobby Johnson's a guy that, that brings a ton of energy. Eric Wood, uh, you know, wrote, wrote a column uh, this week at the Athletic on him. I think he's a guy that, uh, that's something I noticed out of these new hires. We talked to the new special teams coach today as well. Guys that have, that they match the energy that I think the rest of the, the building is trying to create, starting with Sean McDermott. And um, I don't know that you would necessarily say that about guys like Juan Castillo and Terry Rubisky and maybe Danny Crossman. You'd say he, he was a high energy um, you know, type of coach, but I don't think you would say that about the other guys. So um, I, I'll, be interested to see how that translates because when I wrote that story about offensive line play, uh, there were people that mentioned, you know, the line coach could be the most important piece uh, that they add this off season. I mean, you're, you probably don't know too many of the names on the Patriots offensive line, but their offensive line coach is considered one of the best of all time. And that's why they have arguably the best offensive line in football and are playing for the Super Bowl next week. You're right about Khalil. He, uh, he announced his retirement on, December 31st. So we were all still in the afterglow of Kyle Williams and didn't realize that Ryan Cleo also played his final game that same day. Well, I religiously read my pal Joe Person, so I there picked you go. up on that. You know, Bobby Johnson, the new offensive line coach, and this is something that Eric Wood had mentioned in that column for The Athletic, uh, it, it pointed out the difference in that Bobby Johnson has coached a position before as the main coach. He's uh, been a tight ends coach. So he has run a meeting room. He's run position drills, all that stuff. He's also been an assistant O-line coach in three different places, including Buffalo, also Detroit, most recently Indianapolis. But the difference being is that 
when you're running the room for tight ends, you have four guys, maybe. When you run drills in an entire position at the offensive line, you have all the tackles, all the guards, all the centers. You may have in training camp 15. a dozen guys, 15 guys. Uh, and so that will be an adjustment that Bobby Johnson will have to make. Now he's been, again, that assistant O-line coach, he's been exposed to it. He knows what he's getting into. It's not like he's going to be thrown into the deep end of the pool and told how to swim. Uh, but it, uh, but he does come with a pretty high endorsement from, from Eric Wood also. Yeah, and he's not going to be dealing – I don't know if this could be a good thing for him or, or maybe a, a drawback, but at the moment, the group he's looking at, there isn't an Eric Wood or uh, you know Richie Incognito, guys that have been around a long time and maybe – you know, it's a little bit easier to handle those guys. It's a little bit easier to, um, you know, run meetings when you've got guys who are self-starters like that. When you've got young guys. Yeah, you want your, your coach on the field it. type guy that uh, that you always hear is such a benefit to a team or a locker room. And that's what that's what Brandon Bean mentioned uh, to me yesterday about the center position. Is that He's like, that's what you want it to be, and especially with a young quarterback. And so I wonder if, you know, there's some young linemen in there. You know, how did, those are guys that haven't you know, learn the habits uh, that, you know, other guys have. And, you know, that starts with coaching. Uh, I think, you know, a, a guy's first position coach in the NFL is going to set the course for how he works in a lot of ways and, you know, the way that he works. Maybe not necessarily how hard he works, but definitely the way that he works and what he's working on. And, you know, that's something Rick Trickett mentioned when I was talking to him. You know, he's like, the Patriots, you know, every, everybody hates hearing that the Patriots do things different and that they're the only ones doing something but you know he's like the way that they drill fundamentals on the offensive line is you know before practice after practice with young guys uh you know and, and they really take it seriously and it shows you know you like I said you don't want to necessarily say that they're doing things so much differently or they have a secret formula but it's it's worked because that offensive line is not made up of stars and yet it's one of the best in the league. And I think that shows you that the Bills could rebuild this thing on the fly, whether they spend the number nine pick on an offensive lineman or not, whether they, you know, open up the checkbook for an offensive lineman. You can find different pieces that have been discarded. It's not an easy position to develop. It takes a little longer. And so a guy may have played out his rookie contract and not been, you know, a a star or not developed at the right pace, but a change of scenery could make him, a serviceable guy. I mean, go up and down that Patriots line, go up and down that, that Rams line is also one of the best in football. And you've got a good mix of veterans and, and, you know, younger guys. And I think it's possible to fix this thing in one off season. It won't be easy, but imagine what, how different the offense will look uh, if they can get that line going in the right direction. Well, Matthew Fairburn of the athletic have safe travels tomorrow. Uh, William Benditson was on earlier, and he was asking about you. He's disappointed that uh, he will not have a chance to uh, meet you uh, and uh, hang out in Atlanta at the Super Bowl. He was, I think, borderline devastated, and I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, yeah. He actually exclaimed. He was very he said, upset. how can you hold the Super Bowl without Matthew Fairburn? That is true. That <laughs> to is which what Jonah said. said. To which Jonah <laughs> said there have been 52 of them. But. <laughs> yeah, they've done it before, and I have a feeling they'll do it many times again. But, you know. You'll be down there holding down the fort, I'm sure. And oh, you know it. Sure, uh, I'm sure Willie Bent will uh, will be down there, you know, providing the best coverage in the business as he does. That's right. For uh, he's the uh, Patriots reporter for Sports Exchange, and Maven, and Maven. 
Um, <laughs> Matthew Fairburn, thanks for joining us, and uh, keep digging up all that uh, fresh Bills nuggetry uh, that we so that we so crave. Absolutely. Thank Safe you, travels Matthew. in the next couple of weeks. I'll be seeing you soon. I'm sure we'll be talking a lot. I can guarantee you. Matthew Fairburn of the Athletic. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about what's going to happen next week when I'm at the Super Bowl. Mm. Because I'll be in Atlanta, what the contingency plan is going to be for the Tim Graham show. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Production and we'll, meeting. And we're going to talk about what should happen when your home fans storm the court with time still on the clock. <laughs> as happened to UB last night in its loss. Two-point loss. A technical would have made a big difference, perhaps. When we come back on the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. He's never going to transfer. Uh, that um, he was just going to go pro or come back to UB. Never mind that he entered the <laughs> this new phrase out there, the transfer portal. Yeah, it does seem like what he did is a little different than what he said. I don't know if he's being totally disingenuous. I think maybe in his heart. That's what he wanted. You know, I'm either staying or I'm going to the NFL. But there's, you know, entering the transfer protocol, some of the things we heard. I call it protocol. Like it's the concussion Concussion protocol. protocol. The portal. Portal. Graduating early. I mean, that sets up for a leap for the NFL, but it also would allow him to transfer and join another team for the spring. I'm not surprised they turned pro. I don't know if we talked about this on the show. I think that was a wise move. It's what I, talked I thought to a was going to happen all year. I talked to a prominent agent when we were hearing there were rumblings out there that he was looking at Auburn. And I reached out to a prominent agent that I know had been trying to recruit him in the event that he did turn pro. And the response to me was, he's not turning pro, he's going to transfer. And so that was in early December. So something happened. I don't know if there were – I don't know what the process is to transferring, what the rules are. Once you're a a senior transfer – or, I'm sorry, a grad transfer, are you allowed to look? Are you allowed to make visits while you're still playing for the certain – you know, while you're still with your regular team, while there's still a game to be played? Because UB had not played its bowl game yet when we were hearing these things. I don't know if it's one of those deals where maybe – and I'm just – this is me just wondering out loud – you make a wrong move somewhere, and it's like, well, now I can't. Uh, I did it wrong, so now I have to turn pro because I didn't uh, go through the right process or I talked to somebody out of order or what have you. Because UB's not used to this type of thing. UB, I, I mean, how many people in the UB program could give this guy advice? And the other thing, too, Jonah, and I think we were both hearing the same thing, is that UB when had no idea that he was considering transferring until that whole transfer portal story broke. And we'd been hearing things weeks beforehand. Yeah. I think they wanted to have no idea. I know people there, you know, cause I had heard rumblings, as I mentioned last year, that this was the long-term plan grad transfer for that final year. And I'd mentioned that and they'd say, Oh, you know, they chug it off. That's just kids being kids. Cause that happens a lot at the college level, you know, People walk in on day one and say, I'm one and done, or I'm having a big year. They don't really come out and say it, but it gets but does, spoken. But UB doesn't have a ton of experience with that, does it? 
I mean, well, the, the fifth. I mean, have there? We got been... basketball players that have up transferred. It usually comes with a coaching change, not always. I don't. I can't really recall too many players that transferred out of UB football to bigger programs. I think it, that says where they've come with the program to have this kind of talent that can and, and leaving early. I think this is something that really should be maybe not celebrated, but is a sign of how good the talent is. They, this is two years in a row. I think they've had a player that could have left early the NFL draft and now they have two players down at the senior bowl that seem to be impressing people and that they've had talent before obviously Khalil Mack but they haven't had players at the senior bowl they haven't had other than Mack was one of a guy that could have left early they haven't really had this caliber of players in the since coming up to division one 20 years ago and it's not like he got wrangled in by a big time agent I mean he he signed with Brian McLaughlin from um from Vayner Sports which is Sort of on the smaller side of firms, what or actually is it? from what sports? Vayner, <laughs> like a blue Vayner. Well, yeah, it is. Um, in fact, their biggest client is probably Matt Paradise, the the center for the Broncos, who's a free agent. Um, but <laughs> I I can't take you seriously. Um, so it's not like there was a Tom Condon or Drew Rosenhaus out there that said, "Hey, let's take a chance on." This six foot seven quarterback, but there's no Condon for Vayner. <laughs> um, Jim Nagy, who runs the Senior Bowl, said this week that he expects Tyree Jackson to be a third or a fourth round pick, which is probably a few rounds ahead of what I would have expected and what might happen. But um, that would obviously be the best case scenario for him coming out early and not transferring and not giving himself another year to. Develop so he's going to be out working with uh, Jordan Palmer, the same quarterbacks coach for Josh Allen, and this is the first time in Tyree Jackson's life that he has a private quarterbacks coach to work with. So he's out of Buffalo now. Um, he's well, out no, LA. he worked with Joe Lakata, and I think he had some, maybe just a camp, but he had something right. to do with Jordan Palmer last off season as well. Well, this is going off what Tyree Jackson said today is that this is the first time in his life that he's worked with a private quarterbacks coach. But um, maybe nothing, we're learning something against, about he says nothing it. against Joe Lacata. How can we question <laughs> right. what he says? Right. Who are we? And Who maybe we? I'm misquoting him, but that was the, the vibe from that, um, from what I read. I wasn't there. I'm here, not in Mobile. Rushing the court. In college basketball games, UB calls a timeout with .6 seconds left. Now, I will give the students some slack in that the clock showed zero because they had to go back and look and put the .6 seconds back on the clock. So as far as they were concerned, the game was over. The clock on the scoreboard said zero colon zero zero point zero. So that's okay? I'm not saying. I'm just I'm setting the stage yeah. for this discussion that we have to make in two minutes. Um, your thoughts on rushing the court and whether or not UB should have gotten the benefit of two foul shots and a technical against Northern Illinois at the end of the game. Well, by the letter of the rule, I talked to a ref today, and the Mac came out with a statement. Because that was a timeout and the fans rushing on the court didn't interrupt a play with the ball in play, that's why it's not a technical foul, unlike in the Bonnet game where that was a – live ball play that was a delay of game. So not a technical foul. Now, I would maintain it should be a technical foul. I don't think this is something that should be in the college game. It happens way too often, and there should be penalties 
if not a technical foul, some system in place, and some conferences do have that, to prevent this from happening, to penalize students that do do this, universities that don't control the students from doing this. And if that means a technical foul in a game that cost the team the game or maybe wouldn't have cost them the game but potentially could have, I'm okay with that. I am too. It's a, but I think we're both uh, that we're, we're, it's a pet peeve of ours, right? It's not part of the game. And in college, there are certain campuses that make it part of their game. It's one thing if you want to do the voodoo hex that the Duke players or the Duke fans do. What, what do they call that? They, they have a name for that. You know, like the, they wave the hand. Spirit they, fingers. Yeah, spirit finger, right? Um, or the jumping up and down or the different things that get done. But you do it in the stands. You do it. You don't put, bring it out onto the court. Same thing with rushing the field. I think there's a safety issue involved. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, somebody could get hurt. I mean, People not just the students. Hurt. There's I mean, been so, broken legs. And... You, you could a, a player could get assaulted, or a player yeah. gets to the point where he just lost. He's pissed off. Now he might get provoked by somebody, and maybe the player takes a swing at a at a student. Mm-hmm. It's mayhem. Um, it's not something that should be encouraged. And what I don't like is the debate over whether, well, it's okay if it's this big of a win or if it happens in this case, if they're number one, if it's the last game of the season. And I think it's just something that needs to be out of the game. Here's my take. If you're in the same conference, you shouldn't be rushing to court under any circumstance. Just being in the same conference, by definition, as another team means you should be beating them. Right. And or you should have a chance beat to beat them. They beat them last year It's not – it's not Virginia Military Institute playing Duke. Yeah. I mean, Northern Illinois plays UB every year. And like, also, come on. one rationalization for this is it's a spontaneous thing. They won on that last-second bucket. The students couldn't control themselves. They ran out on the court they in should. such overjoyed. But then after they got waved off the court and they played the last .6 seconds again, they came on again. So it's not spontaneous. So it's like – and I've sat in media rows where the students are right behind you and you can hear them and they talk about this is why they're there. They're always want an opportunity to rush on the court. It's it's like the grail of being holy grail of being a college sports fan, student fan. And I don't agree with their that they should be allowed to do it and you know, that this should be appreciated or excused. I hear you. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So get off my lawn. It was a good show. I want to thank Matthew Fairburn from The Athletic for joining us from the Senior Bowl. Nate Butel, women's basketball coach at Niagara. N-Trip. Niagara County. Just say N-Trip. You'll never get it wrong. N-Trip. Sounds like a STD. That's Nate Butel you're talking about. So does a rude act. 19-0. 19-0. Love Nate. And trip women's basketball team. I'm on my way there now. They're playing. They're going to be close to halftime. He, he he was on the phone with us 40 minutes before tip-off. That's a guy who's willing to uh, market his program, bang the drum. That's what you got to do. Should have had him on for an in-game update. I want to thank William Benditson from Patriot Sports Exchange and Maven. Thanks to my co-host Mike Rodak of ESPN.com, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein Limited, and... Bobby Rosati, diddle in the knobs, as he always does. Producer extraordinaire. Thanks for joining the show. Listen to Brad Ryder as the guest host next week here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Viola Cummings and Lindsay, your workers' compensation and personal injury attorneys. Call 285-9555. Visit them on the web at violacumminglindsay.com. This is the Tim Graham Show, Sports Radio, 1270, The Fan. Are you out in the morning?
is Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. You're a young athlete. You're brimming with confidence. You're, I don't know if you're single or not. Are you single? On Twitter at 1270, The Fan. The Tim Graham Show. Now on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan.